When I was in college, I had a classmate. This was back in Silicon Valley. All these, you know, new tech startups were launching everywhere. And one of my classmates had two great job offers when he graduated.、Um, but he had a really hard time processing this and making this decision. The first job was with some new company he'd never heard of, with kind of a goofy name. We'll come back to that. And they offered him basically no salary and a bunch of stock options. But the stock wasn't worth anything yet; it was penniless. So, in the end, he turned them down, and he took the safer job at a company called Doodots, which, again, kind of a silly name, but it was a much better salary, a lot more security. Well, less than a year later, the tech bubble burst. The Doodots went belly up, and he found himself unemployed. So he did what every other young person does during a recession when they don't have a job: he went to grad school, and it all turned out great. Even though the company he turned down for the doodots was a company, a new company called Google, and he would have been employee number ten. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's just a lot of zeros and a lot of commas between the zeros. We've been in this proverb series called "Gain Wisdom." Now, one way of thinking about wisdom it is the ability, the capacity to choose wisely. Which job should I take, or should I think about changing careers? Should I hire this person or fire this person?、Um, is this the right person for me to marry? Or the real existential life questions, like when is the right time to buy my kids an iPhone? And in a lot of these situations, you know, the options that lay before us can end up being pretty clear. When I stop to think about it, pray about it, when I seek out wisdom, it's clear that this is the right path. To take, but then there are other times when it's not like the dis- one decision is clearly better or morally superior over another. There's not one choice that's more in line with the Bible, and so we need guidance to choose wisely. This word guidance comes up a lot in the scriptures and often in the Old Testament, and usually when it does, it comes to us as as based on the Hebrew word for rope. The Hebrew word for rope, which, if you think about it, rope in those days、uh, was used by sailors for navigation. Right? You would use ropes、uh, ropes to lower the sails when the wind was in your favor, and then to 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 move the sails when the wind was kind of changing its way, or to raise the sails and to tie them down when you know a big storm was blowing in. Otherwise, you would be blown totally off course. So ropes were a way of navigating in the right direction, and so the question we're looking at today is: How do you get guidance from God? How does God navigate you, so that when you face all of these different choices along the way about where you're supposed to go, how do you know the right course to take? In the New Testament, James puts it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, anybody here had a little wisdom deficit along the way? Anyone lacking in the area of wisdom? Maybe right now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously. Just ask Him. God wants to guide you. He wants to give you wisdom. He's not stingy with His guidance. Ask Him, who gives generously. And yet, I wonder sometimes, even those of us who believe that, but it's like how it actually works, how I experience this navigation in real time, the guidance of God. That's a little bit more cloudy or murky for me. Or maybe, and just you know, see if this resonates. Maybe you've been around people who use this language 
of divine guidance quite easily. Like the Lord told me to do this, or the, the other day God spoke to me, or he called me to go down this path, or God has placed this burden on my heart and it is clear as day. You might know people who speak that way quite comfortably, and sometimes it, it kind of makes you wonder, you're feeling like, what am I missing? Like, am I doing something wrong here? Is there some secret that I don't yet know about? Or, or maybe some of these folks, maybe who, who talk this way, they're just kind of making things up as they go. And depending on your faith background or your denomination or what kind of church you may or may not have grown up in, some contexts use this sort of language quite freely of spiritual guidance, divine discernment, while others almost never talk this way. So I thought it might be helpful to reflect on this together as a church. How can we, in a biblically grounded way, speak about and authentically experience the guidance of God? which is really a, a, a theological foundation of the Presbyterian way. I mean, if you go straight to the, 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 the source of, you know, the Reformed Yoda himself, like if you pick out Karl Barth's dogmatics, all six million words in five different volumes, okay, this is like volume number one. God speaks, and God can speak to us, and we should expect to hear from him. Of course, he speaks to us through the Bible, through other people, through community. He speaks to us, if you can believe it, through preaching. But he also speaks to us in prayer. In other words, prayer is not just me talking to God. If God wants to, God can also talk back. Prayer is communicating with God. Commune, to be in community. And so Jesus says this about his people. When he, the good shepherd, has brought out all his own. He goes on ahead of him, ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. It's this picture of guidance. They follow him, and then here's the key. They follow him because they know his voice. To follow Jesus, the good shepherd, means I have to be open to the possibility that God has a voice, and he will use it along the way to guide me. Now, this whole topic of listening for God's voice, the art of discernment, part of my fascination with this goes back to maybe the, the coolest class I took in seminary, uh, which was on spiritual discernment. It was taught by a guy named Gordon Smith. I think we have a picture of him. And he spent his life studying the spiritual fathers, writers like St. Ignatius, which doesn't that just look like a guy who's kind of an expert on, you know, spiritual discernment with the drippy beard and the whole thing? Well, Gordon Smith wrote a book. It's, it was called The Voice of Jesus. And I would highly recommend it for any of you who want to dive a little bit more deeply into this topic of listening for God's guidance. But the other reason I'm drawn to this is because I am a chronically bad decision maker. Like I agonize over choices that I have to make in life. Decision paralysis, fear of choosing the wrong path, fear of failure, fear of what other people are going to think, like has plagued me for as long as I can remember. I envy all of you ready, fire, aim decision makers out there. So this has personally been very meaningful for me along the way, even though I still continue to struggle with listening well for God's voice. So here's the question. How do we listen for God's voice, his guidance, and choose wisely? And the way that I thought we could walk through this is I'm going to offer up some myths when it comes to God's guidance, a few misconceptions that maybe we can pick up along the way. And I'm also indebted to, to here to my pastor in college, John Orpert. 
few myths about God's guidance. The first myth is this. God will only speak to and give guidance to spiritual giants. It's mainly just for the pastors and the people on the platform or missionaries or the people who teach that prayer cohort thing that people keep inviting you to be a part of. It's only those kind of people who do this really well. God doesn't speak this way to everyday people that are just kind of fumbling their way through life. Okay, that's myth number one. And the classic biblical story that just debunks this myth, it comes from the book of Numbers, which of course Numbers ranks up there with Philippians as a lot of people's favorite book in the Bible. So this is probably going to be familiar to a lot of you. It's a story about a prophet named Balaam. And the enemy of Israel at the time, Midian, was trying to use the prophet Balaam to speak out against Israel. So the king of uh, Midian summons Balaam, and Balaam is riding on his donkey to go to Midian. Well, then God sends an angel to turn Balaam back to Israel. And as they're traveling along the road, again, this is in the Bible, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, the donkey sees this angel of God blocking their path. Now, Balaam, the prophet, doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does. So the donkey turns aside. Well, then Balaam starts to, you know, whack the donkey to try to get the donkey back on the road. And this happens three times in Numbers 22. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Okay, this is the donkey conversing with Balaam. Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now which is a rather strong way to speak to a talking donkey, right? The donkey said back to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, said Balaam, right? This is a pretty smart donkey. Like he's reasoning with Balaam, not just speaking to him. He's appealing to logic. Have I ever done this to you before? Well, upon reflection, donkey, now that you mention it, no, you haven't. That's a good point. So God speaks to Balaam, his prophet. He guides him through a donkey. And at this point, I thought about all the different angles and ways that I could use another word for donkey here to get kind of a punchline out of this just to make sure that you're paying attention to the sermon. But I'm not going to do that because last week, Jay talked all about the importance of, you know, wisdom with our words. So I'm not going to go there. But it was a really funny joke. I'm just saying. God can speak through anybody he wants. He can speak through a donkey if he wants to. It is not about your level of spiritual maturity or achieving some kind of spiritual greatness. God is sovereign, and God can speak to and through anyone he chooses. Now, sometimes there's mystery in that. Sometimes God speaks through the most unexpected people. Often he speaks through those on the margins, those on the underside of power, through the weak, and through those that the world kind of looks at as foolish So let's be careful about this myth that hearing from God is only reserved for spiritual giants. Myth number two goes like this. If I am walking closely with God and always in tune with God, he will give me guidance for all of my decisions and I will never have to make any decisions on my own. And that is not true as much as I wish it were. Now God will give you all the guidance you need to choose wisely, but he will not always make the decision for you. 
Okay, think about this from the perspective of a parent. Do you think it would be a good thing if, as a parent, you could make every single decision for a child's entire life? Would you like it if your child would, you know, their whole life, if your child would do exactly what you told them to do, and you could just say, I want you to wear these clothes and go to this school and date this person and choose this, merit, uh, this major, and then I want you to buy this first starter home, and then I want you to enter that profession and then marry this person, and they would always do exactly what you said. Would you like that? Yes, Absolutely. But that wouldn't be what's best for their maturing and their formation and their growth, would it? As a parent, my main goal for my child is not one particular outcome or path or achievement. My primary goal is that they become a godly, wise person marked by the love and courage and grace and truth of Jesus. And that is going to require that Annie and Wheeler, whose birthday was yesterday, by the way, and Collier Jane, whose birthday is coming up this week, will eventually, that they will eventually have to think things out and begin to exercise judgment and sometimes make some pretty difficult decisions in the face of uncertainty and then take accountability and learn from them even when, especially when they experience failure. You cannot become a fully formed person. You can't grow broad shoulders of faith and resilience, and learn from and over and learn to overcome failure if you're not given this freedom to choose, which means there will be times in your life when you pray and you seek God's will and you ask for guidance and scripture doesn't tell you exactly what to do, where God's will is going to be for you, you choose. You choose. You choose. Because God wants you to grow. And this is a painful lesson painful lesson God has been leading me into these past 20 years. Sometimes the real truth is I don't really want guidance. What I really want is to be spared the anxiety that comes with freedom and choosing and having to take ownership of my decisions. Here's how, again, John Orberg puts it. God is not a convenient escape from the anxiety of choice and responsibility. God will not let you use him in that way. He loves you too much, and he wants you to grow. He wants you to learn how to exercise dominion in his image. He won't just let you offload responsibility. Reminds me of that story about a newly hired CEO who has taken over a new company. Some of you may have heard this before. When he sat down at his desk in his new office for the first time, he found three envelopes from his predecessor. Three envelopes with instructions to open one letter at a time when he gets into real trouble. Well, early on, things were going pretty smooth and pretty well, but then, you know, sales took a downturn, and so this new CEO uh, was catching some heat. And so he went back to his desk, and he took out envelope number one, and the note read, blame your predecessor. So he called a press conference. He laid the blame at the feet of the prior CEO, and it really worked. And things kind of recovered. But then, you know, about a year later, the company was struggling again. And so the CEO opened the second envelope and the message read, blame the board, which he did thoughtfully, tactfully, and the company rebounded and things were just going great. Well, a while later, the, you know, company was losing market share. They were having to lay off a bunch of workers. And so the CEO went to his office and he closed the door and he opened up that third and final envelope. And the note said, prepare three envelopes. 
This is not about, this is not an ex- exercise in offloading responsibility. There is no way to learn without choosing and no way to choose without risking and no way to risk without sometimes failing. God's guidance is not about limiting your anxiety in the face of choice. It is about you becoming the person that God intended for you to be, which means from time to time when you're facing a decision and you pray and you pray what God might say to you, what God's will to you might be, is you choose. You choose. Be wise. Seek out good counsel. But you choose, and I will be with you. I remember once I was agonizing over a decision about whether or not to take a certain job, which would have meant Allie and me moving across the country, moving away from our community, from our family. Um, This was a few years before we ended up moving here to Dallas, but I was just stuck and in a funk and grumpy, no fun to be around. Well, in the midst of that, I was taking some courses out at Fuller with this teacher named Dallas Willard, and I shared this struggle with him and just how I was like paralyzed and not knowing what to do with this decision. And I just kind of dumped all of this on him. And, you know, there's a deadline coming up. I told him they need to hear from me. I have no idea what God is calling me to do. And I'll never forget this because I wrote it down as soon as I left our conversation and he was done talking because it was so not what I expected this man to say. But as I finished just unloading all of this, Dallas said to me in this uncomfortably, awkwardly calm voice, here's what he said, Brian, you can simply pray, Lord, I do not believe that you mumble. So if you'd like to direct me, you need to do so before Friday. Otherwise, I will presume your blessing to make my own choice. And part of me sitting there was like, okay, that's it? Like, that doesn't sound spiritual enough. I thought I needed to fast more and pray more and, you know, go on another silent retreat. He said, he said, I do not believe God mumbles. Ask him for guidance. Ask him. He gives generously. And if you hear a clear direction, do what he says. But if you don't, it's probably because he's given you freedom to choose. And man, looking back, realizing how much I have learned and how much I've grown as I've wrestled through these decisions. Another myth. It's a third myth. I can claim God's will as an inner subjective trump card to get my way. I can claim having heard from God as a trump card to get what I really want. I'm sure some of you have, you know, seen this play out before. When I was in college, I worked at this Christian camp. I'm not going to tell you which one but it rhymes with Manicut. And I was working at this camp and there was a rule that the counselors were not allowed to date, all right? But, you know, in a summer camp environment like that, I mean, 24-7, you're always together, you're working really hard, you're having a lot of fun. There was quite a bit of intrigue throughout the summer into like who, who's into who, who likes who, and who might start dating who the very second the end of the term, you know, comes and camp is over. And the form this would sometimes take, this was a Christian camp, the form this would sometimes take is that somebody, usually a guy counselor, would say to a girl counselor, God told me you're the person I'm supposed to marry. God told me. You ever heard a story like that? 
I mean, maybe some of you, maybe some of you sitting here in the church, like your marriage began with a line like that, and way to go. If it worked, awesome. Well, the best response, if somebody, just respectfully, if somebody ever says this to you or to your daughter, the best response is this, thank you for letting me know what God has told you. Now, why don't you go back and tell God to tell me, and as soon as he does, I'll get back to you. Too often, churches and church folk can kind of, we can use this hyper-spiritual language in order to try and achieve a certain outcome. And part of wisdom is learning how to steward this language well. I'm, I'm not saying we won't hear things like this from God. We might. Let's just be humble and kind of discerning and careful about it. You ever heard a pastor, this is another example, you ever heard a pastor say something like this, you know, when they're leaving a church or there's a transition and they said, they stand before their congregation and they say, I, I, have, I have so loved all these years that I have shared with you in ministry, you great people of First Presbyterian Church of Detroit, but I just have sensed so clearly from God that he is calling me away to Malibu Prez. <laughs> and you're like, Wow, okay, maybe. Maybe God made that super clear. Or maybe he just got tired of Detroit winners. Or, you know, Matthew Stafford got traded away and they're like, well, that's a good idea. Maybe I could use some West Coast time. But nobody ever says that. Again, I genuinely believe that God calls people. And not just church-working people. God calls followers of Jesus to leave what they know, to trust Him, to go and take a risk. And sometimes that call is, is, is really clear. But maybe it would be a good thing for us to guard against using that language all the time as a trump card for do not second-guess my decision because God called me. So here's a little principle, and I, I can't remember who I first heard this from, but just as we're learning this together, to live in wisdom, as a general rule, if you think an idea came from God, if you pray and read scripture and listen to wise counsel and you think you've heard from God, as a general rule, don't tell other people that in order to get them to do what you want them to do. If the idea really came from God, it'll be a really good idea. And the goodness of the idea, maybe not at first, but eventually the goodness of the idea alone should be enough to convince other people. You don't have to try and like hype it up. Which leads to one more myth. All I need to hear God's guidance is God and me. I can listen for guidance from God alone on my own. No, you cannot. One of the classic books on disciplines for the spiritual life. Anybody read this book by Richard Foster? It's kind of an old book, but it's called The Celebration of Discipline. Kind of a catchy, oxymoronic title, The Celebration of Discipline. In this book about the, the spiritual disciplines, guidance is actually categorized and listed not as an individualistic sort of deal, but as a corporate discipline a discipline to be practiced in community. In other words, we listen for God's guidance together. And so the wisdom writer says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. God guides us together. Maybe you sense that you've heard something from God. Great, what a gift. Now test it with others. Tell some people, seek out counsel. Uh, one of our elders 
recently got this strong sense that she may have heard from the Lord a word, a picture that God may have given her for our church. So what did she do? She started meeting with a few other elders, other people who've been praying for our church for a long time. And she said, hey, I, I, don't, I think I may have heard something from the Lord, but I want to test it. And she would share it with them and say, does, does that sound right? Am, am I off here? Was, I just, was it just a weird day or something? Or um, would you pray with me about this? And I, that is so healthy and so biblical. God guides us in community, which again is an invaluable, precious part of our Presbyterian way. It is not about one person, one individual, one spiritual rock star who can just go and listen to God and figure it all out. We don't trust anybody enough for that, right? Total depravity and all that stuff. It is through community, through wise women and men of different generations, different cultures, different stories who come together and they speak into each other's lives and they listen together for God's guiding, navigating voice, which really is the storyline of the Bible. From Genesis through Revelation, from the beginning of the story of God, making mankind in his own image all the way through to his redemption of all things. God is charting a course for his people. He's leading them. He's navigating them in the right paths. From the beginning when God wanted to form a people, a community, and he went to Abraham. He was known as Abram at that point. And the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And God guided Abraham. And then when it's time for Israel to leave Egypt, we're told that the Lord would go before them in this uh, pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night. It was a physical picture of God's spiritual guidance. In Proverbs, the wisdom writer says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And then maybe the most loved song, psalm of all time, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. God gives guidance to those he loves. And so we come to this table today remembering that Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd who laid down his life for us, and maybe today as you receive this bread and this cup which represents his blood shed for us, maybe as you're waiting to come forward or to come to the elders and deacons to receive the elements, maybe you can spend this time praying even as you're walking along the way, just listening hearing from God. Maybe there's a decision that you have to make and you're kind of anxious or afraid or you feel like you lack wisdom. You don't know what to do. Ask him, ask him. Listen for his voice. He's generous with his guidance. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for giving your life to show us that you are the good shepherd. We're grateful, Lord, that as we come to this table, this is not about presenting ourselves perfect and all put together and as spiritual giants before you. We come in need. We come begging for grace, for forgiveness, and to find our identity in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.